0: My text today is one verse, it's the most famous verse in the whole Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. May God add his richest blessings to the reading and hearing of this word. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, take my words and speak through them. Take our thoughts, Lord, and think through them, and then take our hearts and light them afire for you you and for your world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. When I was a kid and taking music lessons, I had a practice chart I was supposed to keep. And the way it worked was I was supposed to practice 20 minutes every day and at the end of every two weeks take it into my music teacher and show her that I had filled out every day. Has anyone else ever had a practice chart like that? And what realistically happens? Do you end up practicing every day? No, what you do is you say, I'm going to set apart eight hours in the last day and you get your dad to sign it off saying that you've practiced every day. Your music teacher is never fooled because you can't shortcut training. Professional athletes, world-class musicians, elite soldiers, one of the things that they do most is to train. Now why do they train? They train because when the whistle blows and the game begins, or the curtain raises and the concert begins, or the bullets begin to fly in the battle, they know that if you haven't been training or practicing, you, you revert back to whatever you were before the training. Training is a way of shaping you in a certain way to perform in a certain type of crisis. So the questions I, I want to ask you today is this, are Christians trained? The sad truth is, at least in American Christianity, often the answer is no. We've brought into the shallow version of the faith that says that all you have to do, or that it's enough just to pray a certain prayer and then God's done with you. But as I've heard people say, and I've repeated to you before, it's not enough just to be born again, you also have to grow up in the faith. And the reason I think that many of you perhaps haven't wanted to be in church for a long time, or you've been disillusioned with the church, if that's your story here today, is because you saw Christians in a time of crisis or test, and they failed it. Because they hadn't been trained appropriately. See, when the choice is up to you and you have to decide whether you're going to revert back to old practices of racism or if you're going to have to move to a new way of reconciliation. If you haven't been trained in that instance, you're probably going to revert back to the old way. Because any choice in the crisis is a difficult choice and it costs something. The reason so many of our Christians are so given over to greed in this country is we've never been trained in what it means to be generous. And perhaps you're here today and you are just in the midst of something difficult and heavy. And it's just, it's tearing you up. One of the reasons perhaps that's most important for Christian training is because when the hard times of life comes, when you get the phone call, when the cancer's there, when you can't conceive, When the suffering comes, and suffering in this life is inevitable, if you haven't been trained in the faith, you'll feel rocked by it. In fact, one of the ways to think about training, I think, is about getting deep roots down into the living water. Then regardless of what the storm is like, the tree can stand. I'd suggest, in fact, that if the church is going to make a difference in America, and if it's going to make a difference here at Munger Place, we're going to have to be people who have been trained in the faith in a deep way. We're particularly going to be people who are going to be committed to training the next generation up in the faith. Now, in the early church, they had a very different conception of what it meant to be trained as a Christian. So in the earliest days of the church, I- I'm talking about before it was legal in the Roman Empire. When the Christians were still being thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. When the Christians were meeting in the catacombs, trembling. It took three years before you were able to be baptized to become a Christian. Three years How different is that than our contemporary versions of making Christians in an instant? And this process in the early church was this fantastic word, which is an old-fashioned word, but I think is an important one that we ought to reclaim. It's called catechesis. Catechesis is the process for training a Christian, for having roots in the faith. You maybe have heard of the word catechism. Maybe you're growing up, particularly maybe if you came from a Roman Catholic background or, or certain types of Presbyterian backgrounds, you talked about a catechism. A catechism is related to the same word. A catechism is like a syllabus of what you need to be trained in the faith. It's like the basics. Why well, I came across something very interesting this summer. You're all familiar with the word echo, of course. What I found very interesting is that the word echo and the word catechisa share the same Greek root. You can see it right there in the middle of the word catechesis. See, really what the training in the faith is, what catechesis is, is just hearing the truths of the faith that have been passed down to us from the saints and the martyrs and our grandparents and our parents and the people who have gone before us in the faith. Catechesis is just hearing what they have to tell us and repeating it to others. And of course, the better the echo, the more faithful we are to the original sound. What would your life look like if it was a faithful echo of the truths of the faith? What would this church look like if people came by here and said, so to speak, I can hear the ancient truths of the faith through that church? So what I'd like to do for the next three months, in fact, I want to walk through almost a catechetical process, a period of catechesis. I want to look again at the basics of the faith. What do Christians share in common over all times and places? So what do Roman Catholics and Pentecostals and Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and Assemblies of God folks, what do they share in common with the faith? And I want to look at something really old, which to some of you might be familiar, to some of you is very strange. I want to look at something called the Apostles' Creed. See, while the Christians were meeting in the Roman catacombs and while they were going through this long process of catechesis, they developed something called the Apostles' Creed. It's like a a summary of the faith or a syllabus. And we have evidence that the Apostles' Creed has roots that go all the way back to the mid-2nd century, so like 150 A.D., a very, very ancient and important part of the church. And I'd say that the reason the early church was so committed to catechesis, to forming Christians, is because in the early church, the crisis always came. See, there was going to be a point when you had to decide if you were going to be Make your allegiance to Caesar or to Christ. And without a long process, the church knew people couldn't survive. See, what happens when grass grows up quickly without a root is that when the sun rises and scorches it and there's no rain, it withers up. And I know for my life, for my wife, for my son, for this church, I want us to be people whose roots are in such a way that when the crisis comes, and we feel like we're being scorched, we don't wither, because our roots are deep. Now you may be here today and thinking some things. If you came from a certain background, you'd say, we don't need to talk about the creeds, because we have the scripture. We don't need the creed, we don't need the apostles' creed, in fact, we don't need anything other than the scripture. I'd like to just push back a little bit on you, if I could. On the one hand, I agree, the scripture is always paramount. The scripture contains everything we need for salvation. However, the scriptures are not enough on themselves. by themselves. It is not enough for you just to read the scriptures by yourself. You need the church to come along beside you. And here's why. If it's just about you and the scriptures, you can take some ideas and go crazy with them. You can go way off the reservation, so to speak. You perhaps know Christians who are like that, or maybe you read about them in the news, who have these crazy ideas and you think, how can you possibly believe that and claim to be a Christian? I'd suggest it's because the church has not come along beside them and said, let's help you understand what you're reading. In fact, what the Creed does in working with the Scriptures, the Creed is like the foul lines on a baseball diamond. Between right field and left field, there's a lot of room. But there's certain places where it's out of bounds and the balls are foul. That's what the Creed does. And so I think the Apostles' Creed is a way for us to better understand the Scriptures. The Creed is very simple. It doesn't address all the important issues. There's lots of things that it doesn't say or speak on, but it does give us clear boundaries where the faith is. And I'd like to say that if we we're a church that's committed to the basics of the Apostles' Creed, and that we're working through them, and letting God work in through our life, I think the Scriptures will have new life in our lives, and I think we'll be begin to be people that have deeper roots as God's forming us in this process of catechesis, this old-fashioned church word. But maybe there's another question you're thinking here today, maybe you're not a Christian or haven't been in church in a long time, you think, Well, who cares about the creed? How boring is that? You know, this is real life for me, and the creed is just some ancient church thing. It's theology and I don't care about it. I'd like to push back against you too a little bit, if I could say a couple of things. I think the creed points at the answers to a lot of the questions that you and I are asking. Like, what happens to people when they die? How can God be good when the world is filled with so much evil? Or even as we're gonna speak about today. How do we reconcile science and the claims of faith, particularly with regard to the creation? How can we trust what the scripture says about creation and also be thinking people who accept what the scientists are telling us? So rather than being irrelevant, I like to suggest that the creed is of utmost relevance to our lives in 2012. And my prayer is over these next several months that you and I would begin to have new eyes to see what God is doing in the world because we've been formed and we've dug our roots deep and it's something that the Christians have been telling us for a long time. The final thing to say about the creed is this. It is not up to you to decide what you believe or don't believe. See, again, if it was just up to you and I, there would be no church, there'd be no unity. Because I would say, I can't accept that, that's too hard or too weird. And you'd say, I can't accept that, that's too hard or too weird. But we don't have a supermarket Christianity where we just pick and choose what we like. Because ultimately, it's about the church The capital C church, not Munger Place, not Fellowship Bible Church, not Watermark, not Highland Park Methodist. It's about the capital C church, the people of all times and places who are praising the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The people who are meeting today and praising in Spanish and in Arabic and in Chinese and house churches and in cathedrals. In Latin America and in Scandinavia. That's what the church is. And so when we recite the creed, it's okay if you don't agree with everything that's being said or understand everything that's being said. Because the faith is ultimately not about me or about you. It's about the Lord and his church. So as we work through these, these things, I would just say, unless your conscience won't permit it, you are free to repeat the creed with the church as it happens. And pray, God, I don't believe this now, but help mine unbelief, like the Father says in the scriptures to Jesus. So today I want to look at the very first line of the Apostles' Creed, which I think nicely fleshes out the verse I just read from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Here's the first verse of the Creed, or the first section. I believe, and by the way, the word creed comes from the Latin word for belief. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That's just the first section of the Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I want to work through today each one of those words because I believe they each are important in a different way, but I want to work back to front. So I want to talk at the end of the phrase and work way all the way up to the beginning. So first, this God in whom we believe is the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. There's two mistakes that people have been making since the early days of the church right up to today. On the one hand, we can think life is all about the heavens or the spiritual realm or spirituality, Something like that. That that's what life is about and that's what God is concerned about, spirituality. And then another mistake we could make is that God is just concerned or life is just about the material world. The things that we can see and touch. But according to the creed, working in conjunction with Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, is that our God is the creator of all things. The heavens and the earth. So what might it look like to be concerned with just the spiritual things? In the American South, of course, you know the sad story in the 20th century, there was lots of faithful Christians who believed it was important to worship God on Sundays, to sing the hymns, to say their prayers, who didn't, or at least who permitted unjust laws to be a part of society. And if you talked to some of these people, they would have said, it's not that we think Jim Crow segregation is good or that it's what God wants, but... God is really more concerned about just the spiritual things. God is more concerned whether I'm saved or whether my children's are, children are saved than just the injustices of society. That's a Christian version of being concerned about spirituality but there's also kind of a like a new age uh, television talk show version too. Well we think if we read a certain book about unlocking the secrets of the universe or if we or if we... Rearrange our houses in such a way then the spiritual power will be active in our lives. The church has always said that's a false way of looking at it. In fact, forgive the big term, that's like heresy. Because God is not the God of heavens only, but the gods of but our God is the Father Almighty Creator and Maker of heaven and earth, of both things. So if you're here today and one of the reasons you haven't wanted to be a part of the church is because the church seems to only talk about spiritual heavenly things and has nothing to say about the real world in which you live you are exactly right in fact as the creed remind us our God is a God concerned with all things who created all things the maker of heaven and earth so one mistake we might make without the creed and without working through the scriptures would be we just think God is concerned about the heavenly things but there's another mistake which I think is actually a bigger mistake that people in our uh, culture make it's this mistake called materialism, as if the only thing that matters, again, are what we can see and touch and measure. From a scientific standpoint, this means that science always has the final words in everything that's important, because science measures what we can see and touch, and when science says it's a certain way, then we have to go along with it. I am hope to be a thinking person. I accept a lot of the claims of science. But theology trumps science. This is not a sermon about the opening of the book of Genesis, but I just want to say this very frequently, Very quickly. I think that the claims of Genesis are theological claims, not scientific claims. However, the problem in our culture is a lot of our scientists think of themselves as theologians, and they make theolo- theologi- theological claims about things that they shouldn't speak about. Science is good when it measures the existing world, but science treads where it shouldn't go when it begins to become philosophy. Can I give you an example? We like to talk about, particularly with regard to the beginning of the creation and how the world was made, about random chance. I have to have an aside here. One of my pet peeves about kind of teenage culture is how they use the word random. Have you heard of Have you know any teenagers? Like something will happen unexpectedly and they'll say, that was random. Right? You've heard that? <laughs> that drives me crazy because it's a wrong use of the word. Random means there's no pattern, there's no reason, it just happens. But something that happens unexpectedly or something that we couldn't have predicted is not necessarily random. There could be a purpose to it. If I stand outside my son's room while he's in bed and toss a stuffed animal into his bed, from his point of view it might have come out of nowhere, but of course I'm the one who threw it. And so when our science tells us that the world came about randomly, they are, by definition, speaking about things that they really cannot speak about. Because they can't possibly see whether things are random or not. Because to say whether something is random or not means that you see all things and put yourself in the position of the creator. And of course, what the scriptures say is, in fact, our world is not random. Things don't just happen by chance. But we have a loving God who sustains and created the creation. Who by his word called light out of darkness as the scriptures teach us. See the creed helps us put science in its place and theology in its place. We can can keep our minds open and hear about how God made the world in lots of wonderful ways through flora and fauna. And if you're a scientist today I pray that you use your gifts for the glory of God to teach us more about this incredible world that the Lord has made. But science cannot speak about things it doesn't know about. And to use words like random or by chance, even if it might appear to be random or by chance by you and I, is actually a philosophical or theological claim. One that the church rightly rejects. We believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. As it says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now I'm not sure exactly how it happened, In fact, a lot of what I read about fossils and about God's work over time seems to make sense to me. But Christians might come to different conclusions as long as we firmly believe that God created the heavens and the earth. And as long as we know what it means to speak about theology or speak about science. So philosophically, materialism is just talking as if this world is all there is. And all that matters is what we have now. And the problem with materialism like that, a capital M materialism, is that it can lead you to do whatever you want because it's just about your life now. If all that matters is what we have, then the more I have and whatever I need to do to get more is permissible. This is what's wrong with a lot of the wars and conflicts in our world. We have people who have put themselves in positions of power because they've said, this world is all there is and I've got to get as much of it as possible. And in a much lower version we find materialism just all over our culture. If you watched football yesterday afternoon or you will this afternoon you'll see commercial after commercial that's trying to tell you that in fact what matters on a lower level is what you have and what you wear. And that the only thing that matters is what you can see and touch. The church rightly rejects that. There is more to life than just what you can see or touch. And of course, you and I know this is true as well, because you can have all things and still be miserable. There's something else going on here. So to move a little bit further back in the phrase, what else is going on here is that we don't have a God who just wound up the world and flicked it off into space and let it go towards its own ends. We have a God, the Father Almighty, in the old-fashioned language of the creed. See, one of the reasons why... We can say life is more than what you can see and touch is because our God has revealed himself to be a loving parent, like a father. Now, of course, that language of father is a language that implies relationship. It implies an ongoing relationship. You're not a father once, you're a father for all time. Now, you may be here today and and the word father is, very, uh, is troubling to you. Maybe you had a really um, evil father or someone who participated in evil, and that w- word is heavy. Rather than trying to picture God like an earthly father, it might be better to think of it the opposite way. And that true earthly fatherhood, what it means to be a true loving parent, is what God is like, not what earthly parents are like. So whenever an earthly parent is someone who engages in injustice or impress- o- oppression or cruelty, That person can be rejected in saying, no, that's not what our Heavenly Father is like. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, says the creed. And I'm, I'm struck by those two words next to each other. Just as heaven and earth, I think, are important, I think Father Almighty are important next to each other. See, there's a stream in our culture that says, love is all you need. It's like a pop culture song, right? You just need, all you need is love. The problem with that is, to me, that always seems sort of sloppy, sort of sentimental. Can't we all just love each other and things will work out? There's a sentimentality to it. See, love without a power next to it is, is really not love at all. Again, thinking of, in my family, one of the ways I love my son is I use my power, such as it is, as a father to bring about what's best for him. So if he's walking out uh, in our front yard and about to walk out into traffic, and I say, hey, I, I love you, buddy, go for it, I would be lacking love. Because love without power is not really love at all. It's just sentimentality. And in a world filled with cancer and murder, and cruelty and injustice a God who says I love the world but a God who will do nothing to address the wrongs of the world is a God who doesn't really have love at all for his creation with my son one of the ways I exercise my love is that I work to keep him safe I put boundaries on things if he's about to walk out into traffic I'll scoop him up and bring him back so the God in which the church believes is not a God that's far away. It's a God who has relationship with his creation. And it's a relationship of love. But a love that's tempered with a power. God the Father Almighty. But we have to be careful though in the church. Because sometimes we like to emphasize more the almighty part of the Lord rather than the parent part. More the power than the parent. And what happens when that's the case is that the faith is just about a bunch of rules, just about us shaking our fingers at people. And maybe you grew up in a church where it was like this, or this is a major uh, misconception I think of people in our culture have, that what God is like is someone who sits way up high in some sort of heavenly throne and can't wait for his creation to sin so he can zap him. But that's not the God either that the scriptures represent or the creed will tell us about. Our God is an almighty Father, a Father almighty in which incredible power is tempered with love, and vice versa. In fact, it's where love finds its fullest expression. In fact, God is love. There is no love without power, truly. And there is really no power without love. To be most powerful is to be most filled with love. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. See, what the creed gives us are these big foul lines when we look around the world. We learn that God is not the God just of the earth or just of the heavens. The God is not God just of what's physical and not just the spiritual, but the God of all things. Which means our God is a God both of your job tomorrow and your relationship with your spouse. Both the tangible and the intangible. It means our God is a God of the injustices of, of our city as well as the sense of of love we hope to bring to the children in our neighborhood. Our God is a God of both. And our God is not just a God who stands back and looks at the world full of mighty power, but a God who relates to it in the role of a parent. But our God is also not a God who just has some sort of sloppy love for his creation, like some sort of cosmic Santa Claus, but a God who has a burning, passionate love for what's right in the world and is working Bring it about. Now, the Creed, particularly in this first verse, does not answer all the questions we have. It's not intending to. We're going to be working through this for the next several uh, weeks. But it gives us clear boundaries of who this God is. So the question then becomes what does the first part of the Creed mean when it says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? I don't know if you've ever wondered this before. What does it mean to believe? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean just having the right ideas in your mind. You go in for your math test in the third grade, and you just need to make sure you get the times tables correct. It's either right or wrong. It doesn't matter when you show up that day, whether you are filled with joy or you're angry, whether you're kicking the other kid on the bus or whether you are saving a seat for somebody on the bus. It doesn't matter. All that matters is you get the test right. That's not what it means to believe in the God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. And this is why you can have all the right beliefs and still be somebody whose heart is in the wrong place. In fact, John Wesley says, he has this great phrase, he says, you can be as orthodox as the devil and as wicked. I love that phrase. You can be as orthodox as the devil and as wicked. In other words, it's not just about your ideas. It's not just saying, well, yeah, I believe in God the Father Almighty, and that's it. And as I said before, belief is not just about you personally. It's not just, why well, I believe that or I don't believe that. We don't, we're not free to create our own version of the faith. It's passed down to us by the saints and the martyrs and the people who have gone before us. In fact, going back to Greek... In Greek, the word believe is the same word as another word. When I was a kid, I lived uh, for a time when I was a small boy in Sierra Leone in West Africa. We lived in the capital city, which was, for the most part, had paved roads or roads that worked. It was a very poor place. But every now and then, I'd go with my parents up country, we call it, into the bush. And you'd have to take these terrible roads. And almost always, you'd come to something like this. now you can see the guys on the edge, of the edge of the picture here I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this but what do the locals tell you when you come up to a bridge like this what are the guys that are standing around likely to tell you oh it's fine go for it no problem it'll work which sounds nice when you're on the outside right but when you're the one driving your car and when in my case It's your parents and your siblings and your stuff in the car. It's a little bit different, right? See, in Greek, the same word that means believe is actually the word that means trust. Isn't that interesting? See, is it about believing in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? Or about trusting in, or trusting God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? You may be here today, and you're in a hard place. You're, you're carrying just heavy stuff. And perhaps you have people on the outside are telling you, just, just trust God. Just trust. The bridge will hold, so to speak. But the truth is, there's a point in which you can't take somebody else's word for it. You have to decide whether you're going to trust on your own or not. At some point, you're going to have to drive the truck across the bridge. The first line of the creed reminds us that the same God whom Genesis says, in the beginning created heaven and earth, is a God in which it is appropriate to place our trust. And we hear the testimony of the saints and the martyrs down through the ages telling us that, but there's a point in which you and I have to make that decision for ourselves, whether we're going to put our trust in God or not. If we trust God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, that means we trust him with all that we have. We're going to trust him with our money and with our jobs. This new promotion you're worried about, you're going to have to give it to God and trust him with it. Your family, which is so difficult, you're going to have to trust God with it. It is not possible to you to have your life over here and to have your religious life over here because our God is a God who made heaven and earth, all things. How are you trusting him with what you have today and who you are today? Are you trusting with the words you speak? And with what's in your bank account? And with your worries? Because our God is a loving Father, an Almighty One, who as the rest of the creed will tell us, sent His Son to a hurting world. He is a God who can be trusted. And I would like to encourage you today, for the first time or to an increasing degree to take what you have and trust God the Father Almighty created in heaven and earth with it. And what I can tell you from my very limited experience and what I think people would tell you through all ages is it's worth it. And that trusting this God is the way to receiving the life you've always wanted the abundant life that Jesus came to bring. And so here is how i like to end the sermon today. I'd like to invite you to stand up. And I'd like us together as a church to recite the words of the creed. You may not understand them all or believe them all. We'll be working through them in the next several weeks. But they are a basic foundation in the faith. And of course, although I have to put my trust in God and you have to put your trust in God, As a church, we do it together. In fact, one of the things the church is, is a group of people who are saying, We're trusting God that what God says is true, and what God says He'll do is what He's going to do. That's what it means to trust God. So, in the ancient words of the catechetical process in the Roman catacombs, in which the leader says, Church, what do you believe? We respond like this I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He ascended to the dead. The third day, he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. God, we believe it, but help our unbelief. I know I can preach these words on a Sunday morning and on Sunday evening, Lord. I'm not trusting you again. Lord, begin a process in my heart and the process of my brothers and sisters, your people who are here. Teach us what it means to trust you in the crisis and in the calm. Give us deep roots down to the living water. So when the trial comes, Lord, our trust is in you and we're able to sing the song of the ages. Hallelujah. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.